Thank you, Sarah and Claire. Kimberly, beautiful. Beautiful prayer. The right kind of prayer to pray at the beginning of a season like this. Because Jesus' point is clear. Your dreams may crumble on the journey ahead of you. You may end up with a handful of shards of broken pieces. But I promise you one thing. He says to us today, I promise you one thing. You will always have me. Give them all to Jesus. Beautiful, beautiful. I want to thank Richard Park and his team from Higher Ground Sabbath School. They led us in worship today. Weren't you blessed by that? I'm so proud of our students here at Andrews University, every single one of them. We are blessed to have a university full of students like these. And this same team is hard at work every week getting ready for something special at 10 o'clock in the morning up in the cafeteria. They even throw in a little breakfast to kind of get the morning started right. And so if you're thinking about sleeping in next Sabbath in that dormitory bed of yours that is warm, I know, and inviting, get on out of there. About 9.30, get up. Get over to the cafeteria by 10. You will be blessed with our higher ground Sabbath school. The Sabbath school started by our students. Initiated. I, I love vision that initiates in the heart of the young adult. And they're bringing it to us week after week. Thank you. I want to pray with you. We've got a journey. And we would not begin this journey in Holy Scripture without inviting the one who inspired this book long ago to open our minds now. So let us pray together. Oh God, they all belong to you. We give them all to you. The dreams that are broken, the dreams that are intact, we wish at this beginning moment to put it all in the hands of our Master and our Savior. What would you give back to us in return? You've, you've already poured out yourself, we know. But is there a word for this new season that you would have us to hear? Believing, Holy Father, that there is, I pray on behalf of this great people, that you will open our ears that we might hear, our eyes that we might see, and that the word we hear will be the word we heed for the glory and the honor and the praise of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we worship you today. Amen. Cry aloud. Spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Whew. Not a very buoyant or cheerful way to win friends and influence people, now is it? So, I mean, not exactly the most appealing way to begin a, a new journey either. I mean, who here likes it? Do you, do you like it when somebody points out your foibles? Somebody points out your faults, points out your failures, your fumblings, your faux pas, your sins. Ever ridden, come on, have you ever ridden with a backseat driver who is sitting in the front seat? Enough said. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob, their sins. Why read such a dismal passage for the beginning of such a gloriously new season? I'll tell you why. I believe with all my heart that Jesus is coming soon. I believe that as a race, as a race, we are poised on the threshold of eternity. I believe that. 
And I believe there is the ever-present danger that we might go on living in total oblivion to an impending crisis. God is not waiting for a war in Iraq. Let's be clear about that. God is waiting for, what, what does He call them here? My people. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, and family here at Andrews University and Pioneer Memorial Church. I have never wrestled over a series of sermons as I have the one that we are about to begin together today. I'm going to tell you why. I'm just going to be right up front and just cut to the chase and blurt it out here at the beginning. We have a study guide in today's bulletin, and I wish you'd pull it out right now. This is going to help keep us focused as we journey over these next few weeks and months together. There's a study guide in the bulletin today, and I want you to begin filling it out. Our, our ushers are ready right now to put these in your hands. So just hold your hand up because I know you come and you come with a, three of your friends. One of you gets a bulletin. Well, what about the other two? Hold your hand up. I want the children here to be able to have the study guides as well. I want everybody who's come to worship today. I want the choir to be a part of this. I want everybody here today. Why? Because this, we, we, we need to focus our mind. I'm going to share with you why I believe so strongly about what we're about to share and why I have wrestled with it. Shall we really go ahead with this? Now, those of you who are watching on television right now, you can get our study guide on the web. Go to the website. We'll put it on the screen, the address right now. pmchurch.org. www. World Wide Web. pmchurch.org. Now, I went to that website. You're going you're to have to make a few clicks. On the first page, you'll see study guides. It's two lines down. Click study guides. It'll take you to another page. Click there. It'll take you to another page. It'll take you to the present series. Click there. That's the way you'll get the study guides you're looking for. Don't give up. pmchurch.org. That's our website. We have a wonderful webmaster, Janine Lim. She does a delightful job with that. So, you fill it out. You'll see where. You'll see how. I want to share with you why I'm so deeply convicted by this, and why I've wrestled with this. I believe we are coming under judgment as a nation. If we do not change America, the United States of America, we are coming under divine judgment. You know why? We cannot with impunity engage in the moral and economic excesses that we have without serious consequences. And I know that this does not jive with some of your pictures of God. But we cannot do what we have done as a nation without arousing the ire of a just and holy God. If we do not change, America will come under the judgment of God. I believe we are coming under judgment as a nation. I believe we are coming under judgment as an institution. If we do not change, the numbers that have been tracked and crunched could very well reflect more than retention ability and financial acumen. And it is possible. It is possible that secular consultants will never be able to fully and finally put their fingers on the cause or the cure for a spiritual institution like ours if we do not change. I believe we are coming under judgment as a nation. I believe we are coming under judgment as an institution. I believe if we do not change, we are coming under judgment as a church. The new evangelistic programs and ministerial management strategies continue to multiply, but the church in this nation continues to stagnate from a lack of growth 
and utter apathy. And all the marketing, all the media, the slick slogans and tricks and seminars. We can be, go chase seminars down, and some of us are doing that all over this country. But the seminars and the slogans will not arouse a slumbering church. I shared in the children's story in First Church. This happened just this last Sunday. SeaTac Airport. Any of us have flown to SeaTac in Seattle, right? So in SeaTac Airport, Sunday morning, 6 o'clock, one of the key, you know, they really big heightened security now that we're into this uh, new, new season. And so this security screener, we called him George in First Church, is sitting at the screen, x-ray, watching all the bags go through. He's looking for colors. He's looking for shapes. He's looking for anything that might spell danger. Do you know what happened to him? He fell asleep. Six in the morning last Sunday, had a great New Year's weekend, obviously. Fell asleep. They finally caught him asleep. They were not, they, the, the authorities came in. They were not able to ascertain, has he been asleep for eight minutes? Is it 20? They figured between eight and 30 minutes. Do you know what they did? Because one man slept at his post of duty. They emptied four of the five concourses at SeaTac, emptied them and brought in bomb-sniffing dogs and went through everything to see if anything had gotten through while the man slept. The church, do we sleep the same way? All the while, thousands, tens upon thousands are going to their eternal destiny. And we have been positioned, we have been put there for a reason, and we sleep. I believe we're coming under judgment. And that's why I'm so concerned. That's why I've wrestled over this series. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something. I believe that unless and until we change as a nation, as an institution, and as a church, unless we change, we will come more deeply under judgment. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Not a very buoyant or cheerful way to win friends and influence people and begin a new season. I understand that, but ladies and gentlemen, dear friends, God knows we've tried everything else. And so today we turn to God in the context of Isaiah 58. Open your Bible, please, to the great... Gospel prophet Isaiah. We're going to be in chapter 58 for the rest of this journey. You and I, oh, we'll go other places to tell stories in Scripture. We'll be in Isaiah 58. I want to read Isaiah 58, verse 1. I'm reading in the New King James Version. Some of you are saying, well, listen, Dwight, I thought you had, I thought you had the New Revised Standard Version. You've been preaching out of that for the last 12 years, you know. You're right. But a month ago, right after First Church, when I walked out of this service, and I always go to my office for some time for quiet reflection and prayer. I stepped out afterwards to get a drink of water. When I came back to my study, the Bible was gone. Somebody borrowed it. And it's still being borrowed. <laughs> so if you have it, because I know what was happening. You were racing to a Sabbath school class, and you said, I've got to have a Bible, and I figured the pastor must have one in his office, and you saw it there on the desk. And so, hey, hallelujah, I'm glad you had it. You know, if you're through, just uh, bring it on back, because I could use it. I'm telling you, it, the Bible doesn't mean two bits to you. But you know, when you're a preacher, 12 years of your life are poured into those little notes and, uh, and, and stuff. I have two pictures of my kids being baptized. Don't have negatives for them. You know, that, that kind of thing. My dad's funeral brochure. Stuff like that. I mean, it doesn't mean a thing to anybody else but to me. If you find, if you find it. So anyway, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm doing the New King James Version now. I've had this Bible for a while. What's wrong with the New King James Version? It's what we have in the pew in front of you right now. You can go to your pew rack, pull that Bible out, and you and I will be preaching on the same page together. Hallelujah. And by the way, i got my name four times on this cover now. <laughs> it's true. Yep. Because see here on the cover, the Nelson Study Bible. Thomas Nelson and I are not related, but I made sure. Three times it says Nelson, Nelson, Nelson. And then yesterday at the ABC, they put another one on, Dwight K. So, by the way, you need a good Bible, go to the ABC. Okay, got great Bibles over there. Great Bibles. All right. 
Where were we? Okay, Isaiah 58. New King James Version. Let us go. Those of you watching on television, it'll be on the screen for you. Verse 1, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression in the house of Jacob, their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God, they ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Verse 3, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? Get, get a load of this, ladies and gentlemen. It is very clear that the people to whom Isaiah 58 is being directed are a people that believe in the Day of Atonement and the cleansing of the sanctuary. There are three clues tucked into those first three verses. Number one, lift up the trumpet, shofar in the Hebrew, the ram's horn. The Day of Atonement was always announced by the Feast of Trumpets. The trumpet sounds Day of Atonement coming. They believe in the cleansing of the sanctuary. Number two, fasting. It says fasting. The only day of the Jewish liturgy that, in which you formally fast is the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And number three, the word, we, we afflicted ourselves straight out of Levit Leviticus 16 in the Hebrew. These are people who believe in the cleansing of the sanctuary in the Day of Atonement. So Isaiah 58 is for people like that. Let's go on. Verse 3 is still going here. In fact, in the day of your fast... You find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Verse 5, is it a fast I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is, verse 6, not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him and do not hide yourself from your own flesh, your own family? Then, verse 8, your light, I promise you, God says, your light shall break forth like the morning. And your healing as a nation, as an institution, as a church, your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. Why? Why, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Straight out of the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 14, when the minions and the hordes of Pharaoh were about to pounce on that liberated horde of slaves, you remember that? They're, they're racing to the Red Sea and they're coming, the Pharaoh and the armies are coming right up. God, in that pillar of cloud, just moves to the rear and becomes a pillar of fire. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. I'm going to take care of you, God says, verse 9. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and He will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. Verse 11, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in the drought, strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Verse 12, those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairers of the breach. The restorer of streets to dwell in, verse 13, if, if, as a nation, if, as an institution, if, as a church, you take, turn away your foot from the Sabbath. It's very clear. This is not only a people that believes in the cleansing of the sanctuary in the Day of Atonement. This is a people that is championing God's seventh-day Sabbath. Isaiah 58 is for such a people. If you take away your foot from the Sabbath and from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor Him not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. Whoa. I want to share with you a sentence I came across last November over which I've been brooding that has caused this wrestling 
over Isaiah 58. I'll tell you who wrote the sentence. U.S. News and World Report has called him one of the most influential intellectuals in America. His name is Richard John Newhouse. He was a Lutheran pastor. In fact, I read, I read a book, I have a book in my library, that he wrote as a Lutheran pastor, but he is converted to Roman Catholicism and he is a Roman Catholic priest today. He is editor of a journal that focuses on Christian life and philosophy called First Things. He wrote a book that I've been reading, just finishing up, Death on a Friday Afternoon. And in that book, this sentence, provocative, and you're going to fill in the blank to get this sentence. Let's read. Turn to your study guide. And we'll put it on the screen. God's chosen ones. God's chosen ones live out the drama and destiny of God Himself. It is a fearful, fearful thing to be chosen. It is as though God enters history through His chosen ones. End quote. It is a fearful thing to be chosen. Do you know why? Because to whom much is given, much is required. That's why. When you live, look, 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 look. When you live with the thought that you might be chosen, not chosen because of who you are, but chosen because of who He is. When you live with the thought that you might be chosen, I'm telling you what, you do not live like all the rest. I'm reading the Bible through. Learn something from uh, the great Bible scholar and preacher of, uh, of yesteryear in our community of faith. His name was H.M.S. Richards, Sr. He used to tell preachers, you want to get, you want, you want to get the year off right, read the Bible through in the first month of every new year. So that's what I do. 40, it takes you 40 chapters a day. You've got to do 40 chapters a day. So you read very fast. He said, don't stop. Just read. Get the feel. And so I'm working my way now to the Old Testament, as you can understand. And as I have been reading the story of Israel, my heart has sunk over and over. God, am I the same way? I mean, you keep working. You keep pleading. You keep struggling with this community of faith. But they keep turning to the world around them and saying, man, we've got we to gotta mimic what's out there. We've got to be like the nations around us. And you keep begging, please. God, I'm the same way. I am the same way. I just want to be like everybody else. I want to be like the other institutions that are just like my institution. I want to be like all the other congregations that are like my congregation. So we're going everywhere to find out how to do it. Everywhere. Maybe the template that God has in mind is a different template. I tell you what, when you live with the consciousness of maybe you're chosen, you live with a sense of destiny, you live by a higher standard, you do not turn to what's around you to look to find that template because your goal is no longer to be like them, your goal is to be like Him. As Newhouse wrote, God's chosen ones live out the drama and destiny of God Himself. It is a fearful thing to be chosen. You bet it is. Because to whom much is given, much is required. It is a fearful thing to be chosen. It is as though God enters history through His chosen ones. You understand, of course, that that is not a new idea with Richard John Newhouse. Millennia earlier, Moses beat him to it. Moses articulates what it means to be the chosen ones here in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Now, you're going to have to write the verses in. This will, this will help you uh, follow it. Deuteronomy chapter 7, right in 6 through 8. Verses 6 through 8. Just write in there. See, 6 through 8. Let's read that now. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for Himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Now get this straight, please. The Lord did not set His love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than the other people. For you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, that's why... Now, if you think, as some Christians mistakenly do, that, well, that's just an Old Testament concept. It doesn't go into the New Testament. Come again. Because the, the mighty preacher Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, makes the very same point. Let's put it up here. Right in verses 9 and 10. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. Peter makes the same point. Now, this is to Christians, okay? Christians. But you Christians are a chosen 
There it is again. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Who once You once were not a people, but now you are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. And John, not to be outdone, because Moses and then Peter, even as the Bible begins with Moses' articulation of the chosen, John ends the Bible with the same articulation, an apocalyptic portrait. Revelation chapter 12, right in verse 17, and the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring at the end, at the end, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. There will be a generation at the end. One more, Revelation 14, right in the next verse, right in verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints, my chosen ones. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. How did Newhouse put it? I remember who wrote this. Brilliant intellectual, Newhouse. God's chosen ones live out the drama and destiny of God Himself. It is a fearful thing to be chosen. It is as though God enters history through His chosen ones. Ladies and gentlemen, mark it down. Isaiah 58 clearly, compellingly describes the reality. It is a fearful thing to be chosen. If you are part of a people that embraces the Day of Atonement, the cleansing of the sanctuary, if you are a part of a people that embraces God's memorial of His authority on earth as Creator, the Seventh-day Sabbath, if you are part of a people that God would look to and say, you know, it ain't because of who your daddy is, it ain't because of who your mama is, it's because what you believe, I'm calling you chosen. If you're part of my people, my people, if my people who are called by My name, will humble themselves and pray and seek My face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land or nation or institution or church. I'll heal you. Isaiah 58, verse 1, how does it read? Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not dealing with an angry God here. A pouting God. God is just kicking the door. We're dealing here with a desperate God, a passionate God, who say, do you understand? I need you. I want you. I chose you. You are chosen. Not because of who you are, because you're nothing. But I needed somebody to get this mission and this message out. I chose you. Do you understand that? That's the God. It's a heartbroken God. But did you notice? Wow. Right, right here in Isaiah 58, did you notice the very unique title God comes up for His chosen ones? Go to verse 12. Isaiah 58, verse 12. Let's read verse 12. Those from among you, alright? From among you, there'll be, there'll be those who will build up the old waste places. The New Revised puts it, the ancient ruins. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Did you notice what God calls the, His chosen ones, write it down, the repairers of the breach. What in the world does God have in mind as repairers of the breach? Ah. We turn now to a wall that has been standing here silently, minding its own business through this service. This is a wall, as you can tell, made out of brick. Brick paneling. I looked for a way that we might have the bricks and just put it up, but you know how long that would take between Sabbaths to set up and take down. I'm very grateful to my friend Jose and our plant services department here at Andrews. They, they are just tops. Then they do a great job. This is a wall. 
This is a breach. Everybody knows that if walls are left long enough unattended, they can be battered down by an enemy. They can be broken down by lack of care and attention. Walls eventually can disintegrate. God says, there's a breach in the wall, but I'm going to raise up a new generation. I'm going to raise up a generation in the midst of you, and this generation will take the ancient foundations and restore those foundations. This generation will come along and say, you know what, guys, I don't know if any of you have noticed, but there's a huge hole in the wall around here. We think it's time to fix the wall. I will call you the repairers. I will call you the repairers of the breach and get a load of this. I believe that God is positioning just such a generation with the very characteristics of the repairers of the breach. i got to share this with you. I've been so excited to get to this point. My friend Steve Yeagley loaned a book to me over the holiday, The Younger Evangelicals by Robert Weber. Isn't that right, Steve? Subtitle of the book is Facing the Challenges of the New World. The Younger Evangelicals. Robert Weber, well-known writer, has done some rather major study into the new generation within Christendom in America. There's a new generation of evangelicals coming on board. The young leaders. They're the 20-somethings. Not Gen X now. It's the next generation after Gen X. They're not called Generation Y. They're called Millennials. A lot of literature calls them the Millennials. You're it. 20-something or late teens. It's the next generation coming. I've got to share this with you. 24 earmarks of this generation. See if you fit this description. You're looking at your study guide. I'm going to give you four of them there. Not all 24. So watch the screen for a moment. And let's go through these 24 very quickly. Robert Weber, the young evangelicals. Number one, these are kids, 20-somethings, who grew up in a postmodern world. Isn't that true? Yep. That's you. Number two, they are marked by a post-September 11 era. How true. Shaped by what happened on that tragic day. Here's a generation. They have recovered the biblical understanding of the human nature. You see, my, my, my generation, the baby boomers, oh, real big on, hey, man, the human race can get over this. They're not inherently evil. This generation comes along and says, we've seen September 11. Inherently evil. Inherently evil. Nuke. Return to the reality of the human nature. Number four, this generation, they are aware of a new context as a result. A new context for ministry. Number five, they differ with the pragmatists, those would be the baby boomer, approach to ministry. They say, we're going to do it different. Number six, they minister in a new paradigm of thought. Number seven, they stand for the absolutes of the Christian faith in a new way. I love that. The absolutes of the Christian faith in a new way. You know, in a couple of weeks, we have a seminar. We've, 500 of you went through it this last year. I wish the rest of you would come. It's called the Contagious Christian Seminar. It's on Tuesday evenings. In two weeks, it's all in the bulletin. A new way to present the Christian faith. I wish you could be a part of that. Just sign up. It's all there waiting for you. In a couple of weeks. Let's go, up. Let's go on to the next one. Number eight. They recognize that the road to the future runs through the past. We baby boomers. We could not say enough bad things about the past. But this new generation says, no, 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 no. You want to get ahead? You go back. I like that. That's the only way you can raise up, a new, raise up the ancient foundations. You have to have a generation that's willing to go back. To go forward. I'll give you four of these. We'll, we'll, we'll note them. Okay, number nine. Committed to the plight of the poor, especially in urban centers. Much more of that this season. Number 10, willing to live by the rules. Whoa, that's a new one. Number 11, facility with technology. These are the technos they know. Number 12, highly visual. Oh, that's good to know. Number 13, communicate through stories. Love stories. Number 14, grasp the power of imagination. They said, let your mind go. Number 15, they advocate the resurgence of the arts. And this is the classical art. The classical arts. Number 16, appreciate the power of performative symbol. You know, my generation, you go to the big churches in my generation, the pastors are my age, baby boomers, they've gotten rid of the cross. You won't see a cross, and I won't name the church, not very far from here. No cross. Why? They don't want the symbols. This generation says, bring the symbols back. Bring the symbols back. All right, number 16, long for community. 
I'll say a word about that in a moment. Number 18, committed to multicultural communities of faith. Oh, they love Andrews University and the Pioneer Memorial Church. Number 19, committed to intergenerational ministry, not just one age. You know, there's some, there was a time we thought everybody had to go by their own age group, just like Sabbath school classes, just have to, let them have their own worship service because they're college kids and they have to be all alone with only college kids. No, not this generation. They said, we want multi-generational ministry. All right, number 20, attracted to absolutes. I want to come back to that. Number 21, ready to commit. Num- oh, sign me up. Number 22, search for shared wisdom. Number 23, demand authenticity. My generation was into trying to achieve transparency. This generation says not transparency, it's authenticity we want. And number 24, realize the unity between thought and action. You've got to act. Not only walk the, talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk. Recognize yourself. I'm telling you what, I read Isaiah 58. I read this list of 24 earmarks of a new generation emerging on the scene within our community of faith. And I am saying to myself, man, God has raised up the perfect generation to become the repairer of the breach. Let me tell you why I believe this generation is a perfect fit. Now you need your study guide. Four of them. I'm going to pull four out of that 24. Write them down, please. Fill in the blanks. Number one, here is a generation that longs for community. They're not interested in just passing ships in the dark. They want to belong. They want to feel like they belong. You know, in just a couple of weeks, we've got a... Oh, I wish you'd be a part of this. If you are into community and you want to be a part of small communities of fellowship and friendship, in two weeks, we are offering right here in our Pioneer School of Discipleship a training event for small group leaders. It's in the bulletin. Take that little insert. College student, beyond, it doesn't matter. Sign up and become a part of this. Be, help us build community. So they long for community. Look at this one. Committed to the plight of the poor, especially in urban centers. Read Benton Harbor Street Ministries. Here is a generation that is ready to commit. And oh boy, is Isaiah 58 targeted for this generation to help lead the church. Ministry to the poor. Number three, here's the the third one, attracted to absolutes. I tell you why I like that. Because the older evangelicals, listen, the older evangelicals, when it came to the law and the Ten Commandments, you know what they've been saying? They've been saying, it doesn't matter anymore. The law, you don't need a wall of a law to surround you and protect you. The law has been done away with. It's New Covenant time. You don't have to keep the seventh day Sabbath. It doesn't matter. Just carve that one out of the wall. But here's a generation saying, no, 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 no. We believe in absolutes. And finally, oh, by the way, I need to say in that regard, Boys, if you're, if you're putting things down in your palm pile, I wish you'd do this for next Sabbath afternoon. I'm looking forward to this. Have a chance to sit in a room where Pastor Skip, our own Skip McCarty, is going to share three hours of meticulous research and study he's done over the issue of covenants because there's a huge misunderstanding among older evangelicals saying the new covenant takes the Sabbath out. The everlasting covenant is the key. Three hours next Sabbath afternoon. I hope you'll be there. And finally, number four. I think this is appropriate. For the repairs of the breach, they recognize that the road to the future, right in future, runs through the past. They're not hung up like baby boomers about having to be original. They say, no, let's go back. It's the only way this wall will ever get restored. God says, there will arise in your midst. Well, let's read it. uh, Verse 12. Those from among you in your midst shall build the old waste places, the ancient ruins. You see, you're not afraid to go back to get to the future. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach. God says, oh, there's going to come a generation. There will come one that will begin to raise up the old foundations. Not just the young, by the way, the not so young are going to have to be a part. Raise up. Rebuild and restore. God is calling you and me. He's calling us as an institution, as a church, as a people. Repairers of the breach. Now I ask, and you ask, how? I mean, how in the world are we supposed to put that wall back together? 
I want to move to Iraq and remind you that in fact what this journey is all about in Isaiah 58 is to find the how. Isaiah 58 will not leave us without knowing how we can live and minister on this campus and in the community as, re- as repairers of the breach. Suffice it to say that in this chapter, God clearly outlines two ways in which His people can become repairers of the breach. And I wish you'd get these two ways down. Let's put it uh, on your study guide. Number one, re- way number one, God says, I need a revival of practical religion responding to the poor of your community. I need a revival, God says, in your midst. It's a revival of practical religion. Let's just read verse 6 here. Is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the heavy burdens? To let the oppressed go free? And that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh, from your own community. God knows how many of us within this little community right here, and I'm thinking in particular of our international student community, how many of us go to bed at night hungry because every nickel and dime is being spent on getting a Christian education. Those with your own flesh in your midst. God says there are two ways. Number one, a revival of practical religion Responding to the poor of our community. And number two, a reformation of spiritual worship. Fill it in, please. A reformation of spiritual worship, remembering the Sabbath of our Creator. First, the revival. It's horizontal. What are you doing to others? Reformation is vertical. How are you responding to me? God says, you know what? I wish, I, I wish you guys would get over this thing. I don't care how many days of prayer you have. I wish you would get over the long prayers of your slick worship. I am tired of your traditional formalities. I'm tired of your cultural Adventism. Tired of your defending the truth when you ought to be embodying the truth. Tired of your orthodoxy without your orthopraxy. You know, you read Isaiah 1 if you want to get a sense of how sick and tired God is of a chosen people's worship. It's discouraging if you read Isaiah 1. But in Isaiah 58, God is crying out, the time has come for a revival and a reformation that can literally turn you around. It can turn you around as an institution. It can turn you around as a church. It can turn you around as a congregation. It can turn you around as a people. A revival of service and a reformation of the Sabbath. Revival of service and a reformation of of the Sabbath. A hundred years ago, these words were written. I need to read these to you. Words that begin, by the way, quoting the, the passage we just read, Isaiah 58, verse 12. And thou shalt be called, this is from the King James the author was using, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. These words of inspiration present before believers in present truth, not yesterday, today, present truth, the work that should now be done in the education of our students. When the truth for these last days came to the world in the proclamation of the first, second, third angel's message, all right, we were shown that in the education of our students, a different order of things must be brought in, but it has taken much time to understand what changes should be made. Our work is reformatory. We're reformers. I need reformation, God says. Revival and reformation. Our work is reformatory. And it is the purpose of God that through the excellence of the work done in our educational institutions, the attention of the people shall be called to the last great effort to save the perishing. In our schools, the standard of education must not be lowered. It must be lifted higher and still higher, far above where it now stands. But the education given must not be confined to a knowledge of textbooks merely. You can't restore the whole the wall only from textbooks, not just from the mind, but the heart as well. The study of textbooks alone cannot afford students the discipline they need, nor can it impart true wisdom. The object of our schools is to provide places where the younger members of this community of faith, the Lord's family, the young, might be trained according to His plan of growth and development. I tell you what, we have been under conviction here at Pioneer that we need a school of discipleship. 
Everybody's working so hard in the very various dis academic disciplines. But shouldn't we also add, and could Pioneer make this contribution of a school of discipleship where beyond textbook knowledge, you can be shaped and mentored and trained, equipped as a radical young follower of Christ? Because it's not enough, just the textbooks. God says, I want a revival. I want a reformation. And if the wall of true education is broken down, build it up. You're the new generation. If the wall of the law that is to protect the community of faith, if it's broken down, build it up. You're the new generation. If the wall of reaching out to the disenfranchised, the alienated, the people that the society has written off, the poor and the needy who suffer, if that wall is broken, raise it up. You be the people. You raise it up again. For there shall come in your midst a new generation, and it shall be called the repairers of the breach. Cry aloud. Spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. And tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. I need to ask, I want to ask after all of this, God, is there any gospel hope for a sinner like me? And the good news is, yes, there is. Commentators are agreed that Isaiah 58 is actually a package with Isaiah 57 in which God presents the gospel. Let's end with the gospel. Go back one page. Isaiah 57, verse 15, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. But watch this. I dwell with him, with her, who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive. Isn't that something? To revive. Here God comes along and says, I want you to have revival. I want you to have reformation. But isn't it just like God to come into our faces and say, you know what? Everything I ask from you, I have to give to you. I will give you revival. I'll give it to you. I dwell with... Dwell in the high and holy place with Him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Verse 18, I've seen her ways and I will heal her. I will also lead Him and restore comforts to Him and to His mourners. God asks for revival and reformation in Isaiah 58 and He offers Revival and Reformation in Isaiah 57. He said, I will give it to you. How can He do it? Well, he is the great repairer of the breach. God's the one who stretched out His arms over that huge hole that our guilt had punched into the wall. Our sins. He stretched out His arms at Calvary. Do you want to see the repair of the breach? Look at the cross. That's the repairer of the breach. Want to build a wall back? You don't build the wall with bricks. You build it with blood. Whose blood? His blood. It's the gospel. No revival, no reformation without that blood, without that sacrifice, front and center. But God is saying, I can, I can give you what I need. I want revival. I want reformation. I can bring it to you because I have it. And I will come. You know, it, it does. He says, I will come to a humble and contrite one. You know, it is humbling. It's humbling to have to say sometimes everything we've tried has failed. We're not turning around. It's humbling. You have to be contrite. It's okay to say it's not working. We've done everything humanly possible. God is saying, that's it. There is a divine response. There is a divine call. I will come down with the humble and I will revive the contrite. But you have to sense your need. If you go on trying to patch that wall with your, on your own power, you'll never get the wall patched. Those bricks will come right back down. Give a few months, the bricks are down again. Just when you think we've got it solved and at last we're standing in good stead, that wall will come down. You cannot fix it. I will revive. I will revive the humble. And the contrite. You know what that means? I have to ask Him. I have to admit, God, I can't turn my life, let alone 
my calling around, you will have to step in and do with me whatever you wish. Do with us whatever you will for that revival and reformation to come. God says, I'm going to raise up in your midst a new generation. And I'm looking into those faces right now. You are that generation. You have all the characteristics to be a repairer of the breach. And some of us are going to need to listen to you and ask you to help us repair a wall that is broken down. I'm going to be very specific here. Though it's true, God calls all of us to be repairs. And I hope I'm, I'm as old as you. I hope you and I will sense that we can be a part of this repairing. But I'd like to make an invitation at the conclusion of second service today. If you're a part of that generation whose 24 characteristics we whirlwinded through a moment ago, and you would like to make your life available to the Lord Jesus Christ to build up the wall and the ancient foundations once again to go back to the absolutes and without apology put the wall back in place. If you would be willing to be used on this campus where you live or in the community where you live and work and you're a 20-something or a teenager. I'm going to invite you to slip out of that pew where you are and I'd like to have a special prayer for you. I believe God is calling you to become a repairer of the breach. The choir sang a beautiful, beautiful song in First Church. And after I heard that song, I said, Ken, we've got to have that song in Second Church. Let's have it at the end. And so while the choir is singing... I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to invite you to come forward. If you're a part of the 20-something, maybe, you know, 30-something, that's okay. But you're part of this generation that God has... The new generation coming on. I I wish you'd come here. I want to have a prayer for you. I want to pray for all of us in a moment. But uh, this is is so beautiful. It's, it's, It's stay by us. Isn't that the title of this? Stay by us. It's a prayer to Jesus. The rest of us, let's just... Let's just be praying. And uh, 20-somethings and teens, if you want to come forward here, I'd like to meet you here. And we'll have prayer together. God bless you. And choir, sing to us. We'll pray with you while you sing.